Amen. Amen. We're talking about spiritual warfare from Ephesians chapter 6. Let me encourage you to turn in your Bibles to this wonderful portion of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 6. There are six pieces of the armor, the armor of God. It belongs to him, and he is the one who activates it. He's the one who empowers it, and we are the ones who wear it and must use it. So we are talking about this morning the shield of faith. All the other pieces we put on our body. That is they were strapped to the body somehow. The belt being buckled. And then the breastplate being fastened with ties. And then the shoes being strapped on the feet in such a way that one could easily march forward and contend for their position. But now we're dealing with a piece of the armor that's not strapped to the body, so to speak, but is something used by the hands called the shield of faith. Many years ago, the great missionary Hudson Taylor was sailing through the China Sea and coming into port near the channel when they lost all wind. Taylor was actually down in a compartment reading, oblivious to the situation above. But the pilot, the captain of the ship, came down and urgently knocked on his door. said, Mr. Taylor, we're in trouble. We have no wind and the current is taking us away. We're drifting toward an island inhabited by cannibals. As far as we know, no civilization has ever reached this island. I'm very fearful that if we don't get some wind, we'll all die. Taylor said, what do you want me to do? He said, I heard you're a man of God. I would like for you to pray. Taylor said, okay, I will pray for wind if you hoist the sails. (laughs) To which the captain said, no, I, I can't do that. There's no wind. And you don't put up the sails until you have some wind. It would look extremely foolish. Me as a captain putting the sails up when there's no activity going on. I just can't do that. Taylor said, I won't pray unless you hoist the sails. So the man put the sails up, and Taylor began to pray. Within about 40 minutes, the captain came down and said, Mr. Taylor, please stop praying. We have more wind than we know what to do with. (laughs) But what a great illustration of faith. Faith doesn't say God can do it. Faith says, put up the sails. The wind is coming. You and I have a problem with believing but not acting on what we believe or what we say we believe, which questions whether we believe or not. Because true belief, genuine belief, is usually connected with honest, sincere response. If I were to tell you that this building is burning down, there's a fire been started in the back, and unless you get out quickly, you will die. And you say, I didn't set on the fire. I didn't set the fire. I'm sitting here until the sermon is done. Keep preaching. Well, you really don't believe the building's on fire, if, you, if that's your response. But if the flames began to lick in through the doors and the smoke coming underneath began to fill the room, I wouldn't have to say anything about getting out. You would trample over anyone in your way to get out because... You are convinced the building is on fire. See the difference? So you and I need more than just cold and calloused belief. 
We need faith that embraces what we say is true. So to make this clear, the Apostle Paul, again sitting next to a Roman soldier, uses what he can see to make this idea of faith extremely clear. And the physical illustration this time is of a sword. Now we looked last week at this picture of a Roman soldier uh, decked out uh, quite well in the armament. Uh, it's hard to see the belt, but it's there. You've got the breastplate abundantly clear. His feet are covered with these knob-nail shoes strapped up to the ankles. Sometimes there were like shin guards, greaves covering the ankles as well. And you've got a picture of a shield. But there are various sizes of shields. This is probably a medium size. They had a much smaller size, about the size of a frisbee or a little bit bigger. Sometimes merely ornamental shields were used to speak of the emblem and power, symbolic of a kingdom, and so sometimes the shields really weren't used for battle. And this might have been one of those shields more emblematic of a regiment or a particular nation and empire. But it's interesting that the Greek that Paul uses in Ephesians when he says that we are, in addition to all of this, to take up the shield of faith is a... Greek word that has a Roman counterpart that means a large shield. And here's a picture of it. It was actually about two and a half feet wide and somewhere between four and four and a half feet high. It was called the scutum in Latin. And it was a shield that could protect the whole body. And I'm even wondering if this picture of a shield is a bit small. And they was used these shields, of course, as they would go into battle. And when the arrows were flying, which was often the attack of the enemy, right? You're coming into a fort. They've got their archers ready. At the command, everyone sends an arrow out. And you've seen the movies, haven't you, where the sky is filled. It's darkened with arrows coming in. What an intimidating, frightening sight that must have been. But if you had the large scutum shield, you just would hide behind it until the arrows landed. And then you would go on. This shield was made of two leathers of wood, historians tell us, glued together and then covered with linen or leather so as to have enough thickness to take an arrow. Or if the arrow had fire on the end of it, it could extinguish the fire in the depth of the shield itself. Sometimes there was a metal rim around it as well. One mother said to her soldier son, take care so that you return with your shield or you will return on your shield. And by that, the picture was of a stretcher, of a beer, with the body, uh, lifeless body of a soldier laying on it as they brought the soldier home on the shield. That's how big it was. So a very important item. Someone else said during a battle these shields would often bristle with smoke from flaming arrows that landed in the shields giving the uh, appearance of roasted porcupines. <laughs> what an intimidating dangerous situation to be in a battle like this. And I find it interesting that these sometimes 
very gruesome aspects of war have a spiritual counterpart. And here it is. Paul makes what is clear in the military realm with Roman battle and Roman armament. He makes it real. He makes it dynamic when he now gives a spiritual application to it. The shield is the shield of faith. One of my favorite verses on faith comes out of a context which has something of a military battle connected to it. It is 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. It says, everyone who is born of God defeats the world, overcomes the world. And this is the victory by which we defeat the world, even our faith. And we have a song that we sing. Faith is the victory. Oh, glorious victory that overcomes the world. It is our faith. And so you and I need to understand that the shield that protects us is genuine faith. But interestingly, when you study in the Old Testament, the shield is often God himself. Have you ever noticed that? God said to Abraham in Genesis 15 in verse 1, the Lord said, do not be afraid, Abraham, I am your shield and I am your very great reward. I will protect you and I will bless you. Or in 2 Samuel 22, my God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. Psalm 80 verse 30, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. And then one of my favorite verses from the Psalms, Psalm 84 verse 11, the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord God gives grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. So if faith is the shield and God is the shield, how do you put it together? It doesn't take a theological genius <laughs> to say that it is faith in God. In all the promises of God, God becomes the one who protects you. And the promises are the, the very things you embrace to feel the protection of God, to know the protection of God. It is faith in God the Lord. Jesus put it bluntly, have faith in God. Mark 10. We trust so many other things in the world and we go to so many other things first before we actually trust God. Before we raise the shield. Now because we're Christian soldiers we have the armament but sometimes your shield is down. What good is a shield that is laying on the ground? It must be raised. And how is it raised? The shield is raised when we put our faith and trust in the Lord. Now Paul also gives us a great purpose here in verse 16. He says, in addition to all of this, by the way, some translations have above all of this, and some have wrongfully concluded that the shield of faith is more important than anything else. But it simply means in addition to. Here's something else that is vital in addition to the three pieces of the armor we've already talked about, you are to take up the shield of faith, which has purpose, because it can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. 
So again, we're taken back to a situation in Roman warfare where they often were facing against an enemy who would send arrows, not just arrows, but flaming darts, flaming missiles. These arrows could do two things. They could pierce you or they could burn you. And they would have pitch on the end of the arrowhead that was lit before it was shot. Uh, we've all seen Robin Hood. It's the same thing. Um, but when it, again, when it comes from a whole army, what a terrible sight it would be if those arrows are coming in all aflame. And the hope was that the pitch, the arrow, if it did not pierce someone individually, would pierce dry tinder around them that would easily ignite a fire. And the pitch would splatter so it's not just one place, but the fire might be spread abroad. We look at the horrible wildfires that are taking place in our country, often in the West, when there is a drought. And it is just a small spark, right, that starts a mighty fire. And so from this, the strategists in warfare are saying we will intimidate by flaming arrows coming through the sky. We will pierce and we will burn. What's the spiritual counterpart? The devil wants to destroy you. And he is daily shooting arrows at you. And these arrows are aflame with something that can easily not ignite that which is combustible within you. What is the combustible material in a sinner like me? My passions. Lust. One little arrow from the devil that lands and lust ignites. And soon I am aflame. Or it's greed. Envy. Selfishness, despair, covetousness, jealousy, whatever it might be. The devil knows that if he can get to these things and ignite them, then he can just sit back and watch the fire burn. Have you ever had an arrow from the evil one like a thought come into your mind and you say, where did that come from? And you have an opportunity to get rid of it or if you entertain it, you begin to burn. That happens sometimes in the midst of church. Has it ever happened to you? It has to me. The flaming arrows of the evil one get between the chinks of the armor when I'm trying to worship God, when I'm trying to do something righteous and holy the devil is shooting his arrows, seducing temptations. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, all ignitable, and a tiny flame can start a raging wildfire. The devil's darts are lies. The devil is not always the archer. He's sometimes the commander behind the army. So there are other people who shoot at you. Psalm 64, verse 3, they sharpen their tongues like swords and they aim their words like deadly arrows. Have you ever been pierced by a word that someone has spoken to you? You say, ever. <laughs> How about 10 times this week? 
That's the devil. Psalm 64 says, they shoot from ambush at the innocent. They shoot suddenly. They shoot without fear. And they shoot to kill. Now remember this. In the temptations of the devil, even though he comes at you in many different ways, he has but one purpose. He wants to dislodge you from your stand. We are told to stand. Stand, therefore, having done all to stand. What does it mean to stand? It means to stand in Christ. It means to believe the gospel. It means to be protected in the righteousness of the Son of God. Don't be moved from that position. And the devil's ploy, whatever tactic he uses, is always the same. He wants to dislodge us from believing God. The very first temptation in the garden... To Adam and Eve, has God really said? The question mark of doubt. Are you going to believe God or your senses? And when God sent a temptation to Jesus Christ, it was the same thing. Are you going to believe God or are you going to believe me? I'll give you all the kingdoms if you bow down and worship me. Don't believe God. Believe me, in every temptation, the devil is trying to pull us away. And when we believe the devil's lie, we call God a liar. Every time you sin, you side with the devil, you buy the devil's lie, and you call God a liar. The shield comes down, we embrace the devil's dart. And we're burning. But the neat thing about this passage, and I love this, is that it says the shield is designed to quench, extinguish, put out. Every other use of this word in the New Testament is in the context of water quenching a fire. And here it is in the spiritual context of the shield of faith quenching the burning lust or passions of our soul. The shield is very effective. And it will extinguish all the darts of the evil one. Again, returning to Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan picks up this metaphor of the armor and talks about Apollyon, one of the names given to the devil in the book of the Revelation that means destroyer. He said, Apollyon taunted Christian with a threat. Here I will spill your soul, says the evil one. And with that, he threw a flaming dart at his breast. But Christian had a shield with which he caught the flaming dart and so prevented the danger. You cannot stop the darts, but you can extinguish them by faith. I personally would just like to be done with war altogether, wouldn't you? Have you ever prayed this prayer to God? Lord, can't you just take away all temptation so that I could never sin? Lord, can you not take away this temptation so I don't have to fight with it? I willingly want to obey you and I would love for you to rip out this passion from my soul so that I'll never be tempted to disobey you again. And God says it doesn't work that way. The darts are going to keep coming, but I've given you a shield. And oh, it's a great shield. And when you put it up, 
the darts are what? Extinguished. You have the ability by God's grace in the gospel of Jesus Christ to put down every attempt of the evil one because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We don't have to be defeatist. In fact, we are on victory ground. Now there's something very interesting about these shields. Not only can they extinguish the fiery darts of the devil, but there is something communal about these shields. Look at this picture. This next picture is actually taken, I think, from Lego World, if you look closely. It's a little model of Roman soldiers, but they are demonstrating what is called in Roman military parlance the tortoise move. And you can see why it's, why it's called the tortoise move, because when the shields come together, they form a shell like a turtle that protects you. So when those arrows are coming and the sky is filled with them and there's no way to run, the command is given to huddle together and shields up and the attack is over, shields down, and you begin to advance. This is something very appropriate because it is interesting, our English translations don't easily show it, but the imperatives, the commands throughout this section of scripture are plural. So while we individually put the armor on, it is a sense in which this is a collective movement. And again, this is so true in an army. You individually must hold your ground, but you must hold it with the person next to you. We usually interpret this as my own individual fight, but we ought to understand it as the church collective fighting together. Paul put it this way. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come or see uh, or only hear about you, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit. You're contending like one man together for the faith of the gospel. The devil knows that only a couple people can ruin a whole church. <laughs> right? And he aims often at those in the front. Because if he can get them to fall, then the mark goes on the whole assembly. We are told in chapter 4, verse 1, that we are to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. How do we do that? Collectively pull our shields together. Which means sometimes I need to put my shield up to help protect my brother or sister who cannot put up theirs. And they then will put up theirs that sometimes will protect me when I'm too weak to pull mine up. It's a collective. It's an army. We're in this together. Now we talk about America and we talk about independence. And those are good things. Unless you're from Great Britain. Someone asked the person from England, do you celebrate July 4th? He said, well, not exactly. <laughs> I think the question was, do you have a July 4th? He says, yes, it's on our calendar, but we do nothing about it. We have this wonderful privilege of coming together as believers. 
But we have too much of an independent American spirit in us. We like independency. It's a great word when you're talking about a country that was ruled by tyranny. It's a lousy word when you're talking about your relationship with God. It's a horrible word when you describe your level of churchmanship. Well, I'm just independent. I don't go in on Sunday morning. I just watch it on TV. It's a little more convenient just before I take off and do what I want to do throughout the day. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You ever heard these things? The church is filled with hypocrites. Absolutely. But there's more on the outside than on the inside. Where you choose to live. And by the way, if you're choosing, looking for good company, how in the world do you think you by yourself equals good company? Why not find some godly people who can rub off on your iron and sharpen you and encourage you and help lift you up when you're down and you to them? You say, I just want to go it alone. There's nothing in the scripture that paints the picture that a Christian should go it alone. But I just have God, the God who has created you is building his church. It's a collective of believers. We need one another. And that's what the shield says. And together we can stop the fiery, fiery darts of the evil one. So let's make it ours. Personal application. Paul kind of follows the same format. Gives you the metaphor. He gives you the object lesson. The armor. He makes spiritual application, but then uh, correlation, but then we have to apply it to ourselves. How then do we use the shield? Well, it has to be by faith. Oliver Wendell Holmes said, It is faith in something that makes life worth living. Ooh. Does that bother you a little bit? It is faith in something. That makes life worth living. And so our society would all say, oh, we like that. That's a wonderful statement. Have faith in whatever you want to have. Have faith in yourself. Faith is only as good as its object. That's why the shield is God. We must have faith in God and the just shall live by faith. If you want to get even a little more particular, the faith is in God as revealed in his word. Every word of God is flawless, Proverbs 30 says. God is a shield to those who take refuge in him. What does that mean? He is only known by his word. His promises are... Uh, are found in his word. We put up the shield when we know the word. There is a connection between the word and God. It is faith in the scriptures that reveal our genuine faith in God. Let me put it this way. We're told in two verses in the New Testament to resist the devil. The first one is James chapter 4. James chapter 4 says, Submit yourself therefore to God... Resist the devil and he will what? The way you win this battle is surrender. Not to the enemy, but to God. Submit yourself, surrender to God, then and only then can you resist the devil 
And then when you do, he will what? Flee. Don't you like the victory language today? Extinguish the arrows. The devil's on the run. And it's because you surrender to God. Now notice in 1 Peter chapter 5, we're told, verse 7, casting all your care upon him because he cares for us. And then we're to be on our alert, be self-controlled, alert, aware, because your adversary, the devil, is roaming about like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You say, is the devil shooting arrows or is he a lion? Poetry, <laughs> metaphor, he's both. Don't take it literally. But what a lion can do to chew up its prey, what an arrow can do to wound its victim, that's exactly what the devil wants to do. So we are to resist him. How? Standing strong in the what? The faith. And the faith could be the body of doctrine revealed in scripture, all the truths of scripture, and simple trust in God. So the bottom line is this. We win the war... By surrendering to God in faith. When we trust him with all of our hearts. That's when we become victorious. Isaiah chapter 9. If you do not stand by faith, you will not stand at all. We are to stand by faith alone. And Jesus is the one we trust in. And it's in the Father. When we do, we've got a shield. When we do, we've got a promise and a refuge. The arrows will be extinguished. The devil will be on the run. And by the grace of God, we will win the day. Another great missionary from church history is John Patton, who went to the island of the New Hebrides. Patton being from Scotland suffered much he lost his wife and lost his child but remained on the island so that the gospel would be proclaimed he had to learn their language and he learned it by pointing to an item and they would say something and he would record it and soon he would write down their language he was trying to write it in scripture but he didn't have a word for faith and he couldn't come up with a word for faith and while he was thinking about that a man came running from a long distance and came into his his presence and said missionary Patton of course speaking in his own language I am extremely tired I'm going to put the whole weight of my body in this chair and he sunk down into the chair and he apparently used a word that spoke about putting all of your weight on something and Patton said I've got my word for faith it is resting totally all that you are Resting totally on all that Jesus is. And that is faith. Faith is the victory. Oh, glorious victory that overcomes the world. I know you have a shield, dear believer. I just wonder if it's raised. Let's pray. Lord, there may be some here this morning who don't have faith in Jesus Christ. I pray that you will touch their soul and they will believe. That they will exercise faith. Cast all 
of who they are upon all of who you are. That they will believe. That they will trust your work on the cross and find forgiveness and be saved. Lord, for those who are believers today, you've given to us the shield of faith and what a mighty defense weapon it is. What a mighty defense piece of armament. And yet often we go through life with our shields down. We must be a hideous sight, looking more like a pincushion with arrows stuck all throughout us. Remove the arrows, heal the wounds, and help us to live with the shield held high. In Jesus' name, amen.